The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with open reach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable, full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash ni. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup in association with OpenReach. This week with me, Gareth Hanna, is, as usual, Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And, more excitingly, sorry Jonathan, freelance rugby reporter Richard Mulligan. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Richard, we're very glad you could join us, a podcast debut. It's been a, one of my bucket lists to get in this podcast. I've listened to you weeks upon weeks upon weeks, and obviously for all, there were reasons why I couldn't maybe join you in the past, but the opportunity has now come, and uh, I'm glad to be able to join a great list of guests. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You're the first one to have uh, flown in to be on the podcast? Yes, um, flew in from England this morning. Um, must say, a wee bit colder weather here than in the south of England, but uh, early flight. But it was good. Uh, it meant I was able to get out and about this morning, catch up with Jonathan at New Forge and talk to Ruan Pinar, who has flown over absolutely. a little bit earlier than myself right now. We'll have a little bit of a chat about Ryan later and what he had to say to the guys this morning some um, pretty interesting stuff which will be no surprise also on the agenda of course is the dissection of Ulster's shock defeat in Swansea at the weekend and then we look ahead to what as a result is an even more important home game against the Cheetahs this weekend we'll have a little bit of Six Nations chat as well and we've got some of your listener questions but first of all Ospreys 26, Ulster 24 Jonathan we continued our fantastic record of recent predictions by saying that Ulster would take a bonus point win from this game. How exactly did they end up falling to defeat to a team that had lost nine of their ten games this season and had a points difference of minus 155? Terrible first half and sort of general mismanagement of the game I would say were the two main things. They weren't playing in the right areas especially given the conditions. Ospreys while they were certainly more spirited than I think we've seen them before in previous games didn't do an awful lot certainly attacking wise for their tries and just did the opposite of Ulster played in the right areas got set pieces we've talked about it before of Ulster's mall defence looking um, a lot shakier without Ian Henderson than when he is here obviously in his absence um, they got the two mall tries yeah. through their hooker and having is that combat- all down to Ian Henderson that weakness well, it's either down to Ian Henderson or it's a massive coincidence that these <laughs> problems keep so cropping yes. up when Henderson's <laughs> not there. And then, obviously, having got themselves in position to win the game through two late tries, a continuation of the theme of the game, which was silly penalties, allowing Ospreys to kick themselves back into the lead. And, obviously, ultimately, the charge down drop goal and... Mm-hmm. Everything looked a bit rushed, a bit panicked, and probably would have been better holding, it on, holding yeah. on to it and just... Um, trying to convince the referee to give a penalty against the home side. We'll talk about that uh, in a little while, but Richard, <coughs> this has been a very rare occurrence for Ulster under Dan, losing games that they were heavily expected to win. This is probably the the worst in, in Dan's ear in terms of an upset. Just where did it come from? Sure, it wasn't just us predicting an easy win in this game. Like. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised that Ulster didn't get the job done, I have to confess, but again... I suppose if you look at it, they had 14 games on the bounce. They had a lot of continuity. They were going really, really well. And then all of a sudden, stop. Yeah. Momentum, momentum's important. And you're bringing in a couple of new faces to the team as well. And you still expect them just to, sl- to slot in. Now, you don't expect some players who are in international duty that you've got somebody, they don't have somebody they got coming in behind, mm-hmm. like, like Leinster do. I mean, you saw Leinster against Cheetahs. The 
pummeled them in the first half and, and they've been doing that to everybody this year with a second string team or even a third string team if you like um, I think conditions as well I think the conditions were really horrid mm. and Ulster just never got they never got into the game and when you're on the back foot it's very very difficult to get a back line moving mm. and Dave Shanahan for example wasn't able to get front foot ball to get that back line moving I was surprised that Dan maybe didn't read the riot act a bit more after the game because mm-hmm. as I mean I was speaking to Jonathan earlier on this morning and I said Dan's reaction after the game was actually quite quite calm. I think you saw enough in the second half to say look they could have done enough to win that game but they couldn't close it out. Mm-hmm. When they went ahead I think they panicked in those last few minutes and they could have won the game then but they didn't and that that's disappointing from that point of view. Which is again is really unlike Dan McFarland's officer because they come out on the right side of those tight results every time. Yeah, like it's something they've been very good at doing, obviously aided by a few late John Cooney kicks, um, late tries, that kind of thing, where games that have been sort of teetering in the balance have always fallen in their favour. This one hasn't, I suppose. It's something that we would have seen in years gone by, maybe Ulster coming out of the break, not looking as sharp as you would expect, but a bit of rustiness or whatever, but and the reason that I didn't expect it was because as good as they were throughout that big 13-game block, it almost felt like they sort of like slowed up towards the finish line of that, if you know what I mean. Like They weren't particularly good against Bath, but got the job done. They are obviously beating Claremont mm-hmm. the week before. I thought they looked like a side that was ready for their break. I know yeah. that was put to Dan McFarland after the Bath game, and he disagreed, but to me, I thought the break was going to do them good. Yeah. And then they come out and, you know, as you say, Garth, if you take the Connacht game where they had the red card after 40 minutes and 20 seconds or whatever it was out of it, they haven't had a loss under Dan McFarland that you didn't see coming. Like, they've had games where you certainly didn't see the margin of defeat coming, where they've, you know, they've mm-hmm. gone away to good sides and instead of being beaten, they've been thumped. But we haven't had a, you know, what I would class as the um, zebra away type defeat that they were having, you mm-hmm. know, under. Um, previous regimes that really sort of undermined those seasons so it is a huge blow it's not as Dan McFarland said to use, to use his words it's not the end of the world but it's four points that when you look at the fixture list when you look at what's coming down the track mm-hmm. could be really really big Yeah, I think, I think we need to give a wee bit of credit to the Ospreys as well I mean mm-hmm. Ospreys you know between Europe and, and the Pro 14 one win in like 16 games it's, mm-hmm. it's an appalling record now, they did have an, an awful lot of injury woes at the start of the season and when you saw the team that they were able to pick during a Six Nations block you kind of went well that's not a bad side mm-hmm. still not a side that I would have thought could have beaten Ulster from the kickoff. but I think that it's gonna, you're going to see a corner turning from turning for them now mm-hmm. going forward and as Johnny says but those those points lost how important mm-hmm. will, will we look back in June going it was that Ospreys away yeah. game it's always difficult to pick one game out but you're going to go there's mm-hmm. points that you were expecting us to get yeah. that, but that Ulster didn't mm-hmm. didn't get yeah, if they don't finish second in, yep. in the conference that will no yep. doubt be the conversation that decision then for the to attempt the, the drop goal especially when Ulster's <coughs> it seemed like Ulster's joy particularly in that second half, had come from holding on to the ball, going through the phases, eventually getting the results. Why make that rush decision then? They were looking at the clock maybe and they were thinking, 
was it a lack of confidence that they didn't feel that they were going to be able to take it on another few carries? I think at that stage they had all the momentum because Ospreys were in, or no way were Ospreys going to give away a, a, a cheap penalty at that time. And it seemed to be the only person, the only people who maybe seemed to know the drop goal was coming was the halfbacks. <laughs> Nobody else seemed to realise that, uh, that this was going to happen and they hadn't set up any blocks. There were players on the uh, Ulster team going the other direction and wondering what was happening. Um, I just don't think they were expecting but it's just so Bill Johnson's drop, drop goal effort it was, it was okay but there was nothing to stop anybody coming through mm-hmm. yeah. and it, was, it was a rushed decision I think like Alan Davis came through on a post you can see you know when you watch it back Lou Lydic's jogging back in the other direction whereas normally you would like to put as many obstacles obviously mm-hmm. between the pocket and the defensive line but to me I think they maybe just got a bit spooked by Dan Lydic getting caught in the rock and Matreya not giving the penalty there. Now I think yeah. I think they tried to oversell that. Like I think they tried to make it look like a penalty, even though it was a penalty. And it's one of those where, you know, it's like when you theatrically dive in football when there's contact. Like it can be a penalty, but you can make the referee think that it's not because <laughs> yeah. you're trying to make it look like a penalty. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think maybe that just spooked them away. But you know, Matreya maybe reputation for going along for, with things in favour of the home side maybe they thought it was going to be difficult to get that penalty but as you say Gareth one thing that they had done well through the likes of McCluskey Katsia Tom O'Toole when he came on was carry the ball and keep the ball mm-hmm. so I think it was just a case of a bit more patience obviously somewhat of a lack of familiarity as well given mm-hmm. personnel you yeah. know that's one of the few yeah. games this season where you're going to see in the 80th minute or 82nd minute when you need to win John Cooney not out there mm-hmm. Billy Burns maybe even not out there as well you know Richard after the game then Alan O'Connor publicly anyway had sort of just said well fair play to Bill for having the confidence to take it on which yeah but that's probably not the conversation they were having in the, the dressing room you would assume <laughs> yeah I don't think so I think as as we've alluded to there there was a communica- communication or something something wasn't right with the setup for it so therefore I think if Bill Johnson if you'd had another four phases and you'd made another 10 metres and you had set the thing up right and Bill Johnson had dropped the goal it'd be a very different conversation Mm -hmm. and that is exactly what should have happened Mm -hmm. and that didn't happen and you can understand I would say the conversation probably in the dressing room was an awful lot different it's probably something they've addressed this week because that is a communication I I do see it being a communication issue Mm. so therefore it'll be addressed this week that when you get yourselves in that situation and luckily Ulster haven't had to get themselves (laughs) in that situation this season so therefore maybe it was something new to them I mean I think if you go back five, six, seven years ago drop goals to win games were happening all the time particularly in Europe Mm. and we've seen it so this was a new situation for them and maybe it's something they need to go through a drill what I will give Ulster praise for um, in that Certainly, that last quarter, and um, we saw how 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 good the bench was utilised and, and and the contribution they made to the game. The warning from the referee on the penalty count, mm-hmm. that that was taken on board, and that's when Ulster when Ulster started giving away silly penalties, they started to make the progress up the pitch as well. Mm. Yeah. So of course it would be unfair, stupid to pin all this on uh, Bill Johnson. It's not his fault. Oh, no, Ulster like, no. lost that game. I think that's probably an important thing to point out like because one I thought he actually did really well when he came on Mm -hmm. and 
then that's aside from just being able to kick that conversion in those conditions from the sideline to put them up in the first yeah, place. Very true. But I don't think it's li- like it's not Bill Johnson's fault for dropping back in the pocket because I think that he should be dropping back in the pocket because mm-hmm. his job is to give the option if the team then decides uh, that that's their that's their best option. Yeah. If they decide to give him the pass when it's not the best option, I don't think that's on him. And then he has mm-hmm. to try then to do what he can in from probably too far out and without anybody <laughs> trying to stop any of the Ospreys charging yeah. at him. Yeah. So it's yeah, it very easy to say from watching in the stands or watching in TV, but the pass shouldn't have went to him. Somebody, whoever it's meant to be, should have been given the call mm-hmm. to keep going. I think. And Ulster shouldn't have been in that position the way that Ospreys, Ospreys shouldn't have been allowed to score. What did they get? The four tries, three tries, four three tries. tries. Three and tries. Three uh, tries. That then, like, one, yeah. an Ulster go ahead, letting uh, Ospreys get that penalty back from a, a sloppy piece that of play. Probably, it was just, it was, it was all over the, that was all more over the place at times. That was probably more criminal than anything else, was it? Yeah. You get yourselves into a situation with 14 minutes to go, and it was a long time, but there was five minutes left before Ospreys got their, their winning points I think if I'm, if I'm right I think it was 75 minutes they got their winning points now that should never have been allowed to happen and yeah. okay the penalty I and mean, talk about the Dan Lydiot one you know maybe if it had been Dan Lydiot doing that on the ground it might not have been a penalty <laughs> sure we all have bad days at the office <laughs> isn't that right Jonathan some more, of us more, more than most, most yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so positive ways Ulster uh, got Plenty of traction off the with the, uh, the replacements, the game changers, the finishers. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have been a bench that you probably would have... Uh, or some of the players coming off the bench wouldn't have been ones that we would have seen much impact for from throughout this season. Obviously, like Jack Moran and Tom O'Toole, you got what you expect from players of that quality coming on. But like, I thought Dave O'Connor did, uh, did really well. He had the big moment, obviously, forcing the scrum that led to the McCluskey try. And then... Bill Johnson, as I said, I thought did well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so added to the sort of impetus that McGrath and um, Tom O'Toole gave, especially carrying, was good. I thought like Jordy was decent enough as well when he came off the bench. Mm-hmm. So like especially that sort of forward pack, and then Bill Johnson. I thought the replacements did well. But, like as you say, you know they're improving it from what was a fairly wretched first half performance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And as regards the the starters, Richards, the likes of uh, Kutsia and, and McCluskey, fairly impressive. They delivered again. I mean, Kutsia is just unbelievable. The yardage and the miles he puts up on that pitch, he's, he is such a big component of the game for Ulster. And Stuart McCluskey again. Um, I actually thought when I saw him scoring the try, and some of his, and even the lead up to the first try when he put yeah. the pass on, I kind of thought, you know what? Andy Farns looking for a centre, and he's, he, something happens. You know, he really does deserve that opportunity, and I feel I do feel sorry for him to a degree. But he has been he's been consistent all season, mm-hmm. and could see it just when he's not there, you do miss him. Um, I will say about Bill Johnson, I I like Bill Johnson. I've watched him progress with the Ulster side, and I think it's refreshing now that you can feel you know what if you don't have Billy Burns available. Mm-hmm. Bill Johnson can come in and do a job for you, yeah. and I just wonder, you know, how he would how he would go with John Cooney for mm-hmm. a number of games just mm-hmm. to just to see. Obviously, else, you know, you talk about the missed drop goal. Ulster were fortunate to be in that position because it came via I could see a turnover with seventy nine fifty nine on the clock, and the, like essentially, like he bent his body at a right angle to get the turnover. It was 
an incredible feat of engineering, really, what he was able to <laughs> yeah, do with his body. Yeah. Um, so, you know, on another day, you're talking about that as a huge moment in the mm. game. Yeah. So we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but then we've uh, broached the subject now, Stuart McCluskey, uh, and uh, especially in terms of his... Um, Unselection? What's the word for Ireland? Non-selection. That's the one for Ireland. Uh, Jonathan, you were speaking to him. Um, I don't know when it was. Yesterday? Yesterday, yeah. Uh, so, a, a good piece you did on it, Jonathan. A very good piece. It was very well received. But uh, just tell us a little bit about him. Then, what sort of mood was he in after the game and in terms of how things are going with Ireland? With Ireland, he was um, he was quite positive, to be honest with you. Like, um, I think he can see a sort of clear demarcation if you like between the opportunities that he was getting under Joe Schmidt and the opportunity that he's getting under Andy Farrell and it hasn't translated into caps at all yet but you know Mm -hmm. again he was sort of saying yesterday you know that you have Bondiaki Robbie Henshaw and himself as your options at 12 and they're three players that are performing at a very high level the highest level really in European rugby like they're all making an impact on the Champions Cup so it's very fine margins, but he feels like now he's getting the opportunity. Like you know, there's a possibility that a fifty-fifty call would go his way, whereas in the past he never felt that way under Drew Schmidt. Mm-hmm. And he didn't turn down Ireland to go to Euro twenty sixteen. No, which we knew already, <laughs> but I felt like it, I felt like it was worth getting him on record saying that because nobody else ever believed us when we said that it wasn't true. Yeah, and still kept cropping up bizarrely yeah. on social media. So, nice to set the record straight on the, on that one. And the defeat over the weekend hit him pretty hard. Yeah, like he was obviously frustrated by it. Like, it's been an eventful eventful couple of weeks for him as well, just yeah. uh, having become a father. Him and his girlfriend there three weeks ago. And sadly lost his grandparents there recently, um, two last week. So, it was an awful lot um, going on in his world between... You know, away from the field and travelling back and forth to Dublin, and just frustrated as well, I suppose, by mm-hmm. the by the Ospreys' um, defeat and a few a few calls that didn't go their way, and then maybe a bit of the reaction to it as well. Yeah, yeah. Good to talk about your feelings. I don't want this to sound like I'm being flippant about it because I'm really not. No, know. it's uh, like it's so the, the tackle your feelings campaign is really really worthwhile, and um, we've seen you know McCluskey, um, John Cooney, Jack McGrath when he was with um, Leinster all give really interesting insights into it and so, like some of the better interviews that are coming out throughout the year normally come through this campaign or some mm-hmm. of the more interesting ones away from rugby come through this campaign and I think it is really important um, in general like McCluskey was talking yesterday about I suppose the idea that because this particular part of the campaign is aimed at 15 to 17 year olds um, in school and being able to, I suppose, download the app on their phone and make tailor it more towards that age group, I suppose. And even, you know, as he was saying, if one person um, takes some sort of solace from seeing mm-hmm. rugby players come out and talk about that kind of thing and then feels the need, yeah. or I suppose, to balance their own mental well-being more, then it's a worthwhile campaign, but you yeah, can obviously absolutely. see it affecting... Yeah. and influencing a much wider yeah. number. No, it's absolutely brilliant. I think it's great when sports people do this. Again, remember, probably, like, we all probably have our mental health struggles, don't we? But until really recently, it has been so taboo. I remember growing up and struggling with a few things and thinking I was the only person in the world. And it wasn't until the hockey player, Paul Gleghorn, came out a few years ago. Um, I, I, he was the first one, I think, like, in terms of local sports people to sort of open up about his, like, mental health problems and things. And I just thought, like, 
this is mad. I remember sending him a message and just being like, thank you so much. I thought I was the only one that had these sort of issues. And yeah, so I just think the whole thing's fantastic. No, so, I, well done, Stuart McCluskey. I, I agree with you, Gareth. I mean, it's been so out there at the moment, how people cope with mental things of life and whatnot. And I mean, you guys have it ahead of you. I've got, I've got young children. <laughs> And I'm encouraging them because you can tell when your child comes in from school or mm. comes in from some somewhere something's not right, and you're encouraging them to talk to you and try to. And you can use an example of Stuart McCluskey. Look at this yeah. article by Stuart yeah. McCluskey. Look what he's talking about. And I think it's important that we do encourage it that at the young ones' mm-hmm. lives, but even for people who are a bit older. I'm a bit older than you two guys <laughs> as well. It's important that you that you realise that it's there and, and and you might need help sometime. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So please do do talk. So we have just to sort of tidy up all the talk on the match from the weekend. Then we have a couple of questions. Well, Donal asks, say after the loss, there was a bit of social media backlash against Dave Shanahan. Was this the actualization of our fears that John Cooney is just too important to Ulster now, or is it that? Dave Shannon hasn't had enough minutes at the helm to be expected to steer the team in such awful conditions like last weekend. It's a thinker as usual. Don't know those questions. It's, it's always got the best vocabulary as well. It's fantastic. The actualisation. That's why the only time he was on the podcast I wasn't allowed to be on at the same yeah. time. Just, um, <laughs> he would have exposed you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's a combination of both. I think Dave Shannon was put into a really difficult position in the sense that I wrote... Um, on Saturday that it would not surprise me in any way for Dave Shannon to play more minutes over the next four games than he had played all season and you saw that um, bearing out because he obviously played the full 80 now that's not through anybody's I, I don't really see that so much as a fault of Dan over the last 14 weeks because all those games were must-win games mm-hmm. apart from yeah. I suppose the uh, you know the Leinster game that they would have expected to lose even a full-strength team whatever so you've seen Cooney's goal-kicking play such a huge part late in games that you can't bring him off until the game's won and as we've spoken about Ulster have been involved in so many close games where John Cooney's mm-hmm. really provided a telling yeah. moment later on so what do you do it's a catch-22 mm-hmm. but then you end up in this situation where your scrum half probably is feeling rusty just because he hasn't got the minutes yeah. to go to the first part of the point I think Dave Shanahan's still seen as like an easy person to blame mm-hmm. because some people maybe don't acknowledge I think the strides that he's made with his game from when he first came up here to the player that we saw last season and haven't really seen this season because we given the opportunity I think he's seen as an easy target in that way and it's a it's a straightforward thing to look at that performance and say, right, well, what's the difference? Kenny's not playing. Ulster were rubbish. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's the connection. Yeah. But yeah. there were an awful lot of players, especially in that first half, that were considerably below par. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's a case of, oh, John Kenny wasn't playing, so Ulster lost. Mm-hmm. I would still expect, and I think we understand, that more competition at nine and a more options at nine are still what they're looking for mm-hmm. um, and if I was to predict one signing it would be a backup nine Yeah, another backup nine don't say that we'll have floods of questions about signings next week <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean I put my hand up here and I can, I can relate back to over a year ago a bit more maybe but I was maybe a little bit overly critical when writing about Dave Shanahan and his performance in some of the Ulster mm-hmm. games and then last year I think he showed he got a run of games and all of a sudden you went actually he's a confident wee player and mm-hmm. I think runs great support lines yes you know. <laughs> and 
I think, I think people are maybe starting to think that we're like using this as a knock against them. Yep. Oh, sorry. Which, which we're which not. Which we're absolutely not. Nope. I do kind of remember how it started. He just went there like a run of scoring tries like off the yeah. shoulder. Like Cooney's yeah. not in. It is. It's 100% a compliment. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Jacob Stockdale ran support lines for, for years. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> but say, for Dave, and I think if, uh, and I think Jonathan's right, he will get a, he probably will get more game time over the next four weeks than he'll get all season. And I think you maybe see as he gets another game this weekend he will get better mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and, and, and he will I, don't, I mean we've mentioned Ruben Pinar John Cooney you know you've had to live in their shadows <laughs> at Ulster for <laughs> a long easy. long period of time it's not difficult to get to get a lot of game time mm-hmm. yeah so that result then at the weekend when all said and done leaves Ulster six points ahead of the Cheetahs in second spot in Conference A now, that's obviously ahead of the Cheetahs' visit to Kingspan Stadium on Saturday, 7.35 kickoff. So, before we go into uh, talking about the game, well, I was going to discuss the fixture. We'll do that in a minute because people are probably dying to hear what Ryan Pienaar had to say today. So, you were, you were both there talking to him um, just a couple of hours ago. So, what did he have to say, particularly the line that you're, for your story that is going online today? Um, he said it was really cold and... <laughs> He really likes being back in Belfast, and his wife's upset that she didn't get to come this time. Fascinating stuff. I know. Hold the back page. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the real thing. Sorry, no. The other thing that he said was, um, as I think we've alluded to in the past, that there was an attempt made to bring him back after he had left, uh, but it didn't come off. It was blocked by people who he didn't want to name, who weren't going to change their mind. Mm. Um, I think I don't know whether we've talked about this in the podcast before or not, but th- I think that the idea was that he would he would have a limited number of games as a scrum half, mm-hmm. would play more at a ten as ten at a time when Ulster didn't have a ten, and would obviously be able to move to nine to cover John Cooney's games when he was rested or with Ireland or whatever. So this proposal was drawn up and was just rejected again. Yeah. So, I suppose the interesting thing about it is the IRFU sort of dug in after they made their initial decree, if you like, on Ryan, and then, in a way, will feel validated because of how well John Cooney's played Absolutely. and the fact that John Cooney is now in Ireland Match Day 23s. So, <laughs> from their perspective, you can see the line of thinking that. John Cooney wouldn't be in an Ireland 23 if Ryan Payne was still here because he wouldn't have got the opportunity mm-hmm. or maybe wouldn't have got the opportunity of game time I think you, from an Ulster fan perspective you're also looking at it from one, the reaction since that decision was made everything that we saw play out over that season didn't sway the RFU is maybe the more interesting thing so when they saw the basically the sheer horror that everybody reacted to with this decision on a human level rather Mm -hmm. than um, a binary professional sports level Mm -hmm. that didn't change their mind and also what I would say myself was a creative way of getting around the John Cooney Ruyan Pinar aspect of it and have Pinar play games across both positions now they can also look at it and say well, 
Billy Burns is part of the Ireland squad now, so yeah. if you had assigned him, would you not assign Billy Burns? So it all comes back down to the Irish qualified thing, I suppose. But I'm guessing the people will be interested to hear Ryan's thoughts on not even so much leaving Ulster, but not getting yeah. to come back when it. And certainly there was efforts from Ulster and himself that that could have happened. I think Jonathan has mentioned it there in relation to the decision around Ruan. It's it's basically a business decision at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and it's I suppose in a way you feel that that's a terrible way of of doing business with somebody's life. Yeah. You basically guess what you're doing. It was interesting. I asked Ruan at the very end about maybe in the long term future any potential return to Belfast, and he's, I mean he still has the house here. Mm-hmm. So I do see him coming back to Northern Ireland at some point. You wonder maybe would there be a role for him mm-hmm. within this organisation at Ulster Rugby at, at, at that stage? Um, yeah. There could be, which would, and I think he would be welcome back. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the John Cooney thing, I mean I remember doing some articles up to the start of John Cooney arriving, and when John Cooney came in and played three games, and everybody all of a sudden, no disrespect to Ruin, but people were going, Ruin who? You know, and that sounds <laughs> yeah. terrible in a way, but when yeah. you when you take the horror of what. There, if you did at that time, and balance it off, and I mean, we all remember Ruin was revered in the stands here at the mm-hmm. Kingspan. I think John Cooney is now revered yep. in an equal equal amount. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's good to see him back in Belfast. I'm sure he was getting a good reception, even in terms of media. I even wore my South African rugby coat. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a lick. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's yeah. uh, it's good to see him. He's always, you know, he's as polite as ever interrupted his own training came out and did the interview out of breath because we'd missed him originally because I mean I know at the start of the season whenever Ulster were going out to South Africa Jonathan and I both got a telephone call with him that was about chat. one o'clock in the morning yep. Japanese time <laughs> it wasn't too bad I got up there in the afternoon which wasn't too bad but it was great and you still get an excitement talking to him yeah. and I mean I remember whenever he re-signed his contract here it was myself and, and Stephen Watson we got the exclusive interview mm-hmm. with him that day and I remember down at the stand and him walking around and coming over and hugging you as if it's mm-hmm. good to be back and you're kind of going what is Ray Pena doing this and <laughs> I put a fo- and then the Pro 14 launch he was the, their representative he was the player representative yeah. at that at Cardiff that time and again there and, and posed for photographs and things and it's mm-hmm. just it's just so great and today again so warm yeah. and so friendly and look, it, it, it'll be great and I'm just disappointed that I'm not staying here to see I the game and that. I have to go back over for other things you'll certainly get uh, a massive reception here then on uh, Saturday night which as we're saying is uh, such an important game now in Ulster's season Cheetah's six points behind and that is largely because as Dan McFarland was discussing again um, (laughs) recently some stage last week last week because the Cheetahs have just been able to beat the Kings twice in their extra fixtures um, it just seems like they're always playing the Kings <laughs> whereas Ireland have to play the other provinces who are better than the Kings so you know I've discussed this a few times or we've discussed this a few times Richard what's your thoughts on it Dan McFarland doesn't seem overly publicly anyway wasn't overly perturbed by the whole thing and said the greater picture of the sport of rugby and uh, furthering it in all these different countries is the what's important here not the fact that it maybe doesn't favour Ulster so much, but what do you think? We should say he said that before, they both got another hoging. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think the league is made up of 14 teams, and unfortunately, one or two of those teams are quite a bit weaker than the mediocre teams in the mm-hmm. league. Um, you could say that Lancer go out and get a bonus point every time they play a game. Um, 
no matter who the opposition is. If you look back at it, let's bring it down to provincial level, Ulster against Connacht many years ago. Ulster against Connacht was a guaranteed five points almost, home and away in the yeah. season. And that's the way it was. Mm. Zebra, but yeah. Aroni, who became Zebra eventually. Aroni, if you got them in your European Cup pool and your league, you were quite happy because you were guaranteed almost... 10 points and it's, it's, it's one of those things it's unfortunate from the Keynes point of view and I had a real good chat with Robbie Kempson another Ulster legend from here many years ago um, I had a real good chat with him because he's coaching with the Kings now and he's happily to admit to say look yes we, we are kind of the whipping boys and, and mm-hmm. we will be for a bit more time but we're getting better and they will get they will get better and I suppose yeah. the cheaters are just that stronger than mm-hmm. the Kings now they didn't quite I know they got the five points against them in the first game. Yeah, but they only won by a point. <laughs> only won by a point in the end. So um, that that game, I actually felt sorry for the Keynes. I actually thought the Keynes were going to actually turn turns over here, mm-hmm. and Cheetahs did lose to Zebra. So it's it's a tough one, and it, it does it give a bit of a slap side to the league. It, it does. There's no doubt about that. And I mean, they're mm-hmm. going to play the Keynes again later on in the season. So another win. There's another win. <laughs> <laughs> and it does take away. Okay, Ulster six points clear at the minute. So we'll we're have talking about it now and saying that it is what it is because of the fact that it involves Ulster. But in a way, we wouldn't be concerned if this wasn't impacting us. No, I'm saying we. we sh- I'm wouldn't. saying we should be concerned, yeah. but we wouldn't be talking about it. The problem no. is that there's too many games in the league that are rubbish. Like there's too many times where teams are shipping 40, 50 points, and it's not competitive, and you want to switch off after half an hour. Yeah. It's it's part of a wider problem of there's too many bad teams in the league. Yeah. It's like the Ospreys look at their run one and ten. Um, I think the Kings have a similar record this season, maybe mm-hmm. you know. And you don't expect the Ospreys to be that poor. Yeah, no, absolutely not. But like, not. you know, Ulster did everyone a favour by not thumping a team they were expected to thump yeah. because the rest of the games, apart from Edinburgh <laughs> Scarlets, which was the one game this weekend with two decent teams going head to head, were just non-events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what do we expect then this weekend in terms of um, squad and selection for Ulster? Will there be any of the the Ireland players released back? Doesn't sound like it, because just unfortunately with Ireland playing on the Sunday, that means Mm. that the players aren't coming back up the road until Thursday, which would mean that they would only have captains on. Now, maybe they'll come onto the bench, but from speaking to people yesterday, it didn't sound like that was going to be something that was going to happen. So, there's probably not much change expected then, is there, from last weekend? Team-wise? Four changes. If you don't have the Irish players. Oh, of course. I was forgetting myself. And obviously, Matt Fadis is out. out, yes. James Hume coming back in. It's going to be Assuming that McCluskey doesn't play, right? It's going to be interesting to see who does play 12. Because you would think that they want to keep Marshall at 13. You would think that they want to keep Ludic on the wing. You could maybe see Mike Laurie come in and play fullback, possibly. Balakoon, obviously. He's back? Well, yeah. The last that we heard, that it, mm-hmm. he was going to be back this week. He's back in training. Um, and Balakoon on the other wing. So, I, I, I don't know whether it's going to be, it would be too big an ask for James Hume to go right in, haven't been out for as long as he is, and start. Mm-hmm. But he, you would think, would be the next man in at 12. In terms of... Uh the way this game's shaping up with Ulster being so under strength could be dodgy enough yeah, considering what happened at Cheetahs the Cheetahs at home are very good on the road with, they haven't been I think they did beat the Ospreys they did beat the Ospreys away, but <laughs> they, did, they did manage that <laughs> they did manage that yeah. <laughs> um, so that was another keenness to them the players arrived here Wednesday week ago um as Ruin alluded to Storm Dennis suddenly arrives and uh, you're playing in the most horrendous conditions ever in Dublin um, and 
okay, Leinster did enough in the first half to put the game beyond any any doubt. The way Cheetah's played in the second half would give me a bit of concern, given who we won't, who who Ulster will not have available to them this weekend. But I think it's also maybe let's be positive about it. Let's is Bill Johnson might get a start here, mm-hmm. so let's see what Bill Johnson's like starting. And I think if he can push on from where he from that cameo performance mm-hmm. last week, that'll be good. Um, the centres would be an issue because um, Cheetahs would. Uh, causes a few problems in the midfield and yeah. I think Luke Marshall who probably had one of the more quieter games this season last weekend mm-hmm. um, it'll be good to see him coming back to a bit of form and you kind of think that Ulster I kind of thought Ulster had a bit of strength and depth but now when you hear and look at it you're kind of going mm, we're maybe not as strong as we would like to <laughs> yeah. think we are sometimes like eight players is a lot to be missing yep. um, to be fair if everyone in the international squad sorry nine that would be because Will Addison as well isn't that right? Yeah. Nine. So yeah, nine would be out. Nine's a lot for anybody to be yeah, missing, but, uh, um, especially, especially when, when you're playing a team. Aren't. Yeah, that aren't exactly. Yeah. And the injury of Matt Fadders, which I got off the plane this morning and put my phone on, and there's the first thing <laughs> yeah. John and Bradley tweeting, Matt Fadders out for the season. I'm going, yeah. what? The? <laughs> so, Jonathan, uh, we have a listener. I can't remember his name now. I have it here somewhere. Pointing out that over recent weeks we have an absolutely horrendous record of uh, predicting results. Do you know what it was? It was. I always say that we shouldn't point out when we get things right. But we came in after the first Six Nations where we were like, "Yep, we said France were going to be good, and they're good again." <laughs> and ever since that, we've just been horrendous. So uh, he asked, "Can we please predict wins for England and the Cheetahs this weekend? Predicting a win for the Cheetahs?" No. Oh, no, sake. I think Ulster are going to win. The reason that I think Ulster are going to win is because the Cheetahs are fairly object away from home. That's been yeah. We said they beat Ospreys. They beat Ospreys and they beat the Kings by one point. Away they, 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 they beat Ospreys, they beat Kings, and they've beat Zebra. So their away record is comparable to the Kings' overall record, which we were just talking about how bad that is. Mm-hmm. Now, we had a similar conversation last week about Ospreys, so. We shouldn't get too ahead of ourselves. But I still think that Ulster should just have enough to squeak by. I go along with John. I think Ulster still have enough. And, and they've got this home record that Dan McFarland doesn't want anybody to talk about at the press conference later on this afternoon. Oh, yeah. It's been so long that I forgot yep. about that. This yep. is them going to For tie their record. Tie their record. 20, 21, isn't it, Jonathan? Isn't that right? Yeah. It's just been too long. It's a big... Th- this game is important from a lot of reasons. Ruin Pinger is going to be welcome back to Belfast. Ulster need to get a win to give them a bit of a buffer. And uh, they're looking to maintain this record. Uh, this record. So uh, I still think they'll have enough uh, yeah. to squeak home. Okay, well, look, fingers crossed. We can look forward to that. And uh, Ruan's return, of course, this weekend. Uh, just sort of before we move on to Six Nations stuff briefly, um, Stuart Martin asks, how much of an impact do crowds make at Kingspan Stadium? Obviously there was the three uh, sellout games recently. And how important then is it to ensure that the crowds continue coming through the gates with uh, things such as letting kids in for free at the sort of lower tier games? Well, I was going to say it's hugely important financially, but then obviously letting them in for free wouldn't, mm-hmm. wouldn't help wouldn't that at all. But, but um, it's interesting just how, much, how many of the players have mentioned that, like, unsolicited. Well, I've been asked about it, just how important it's been to have sellouts. Like, we'd spoken mm-hmm. about how long it had been, funnily enough, since Ruan, um, since there'd been a sellout here. Yeah. And then to have three in a row has been a big thing. I, wouldn't, I haven't actually asked anybody, I wouldn't expect it to be 
near sellout for this game even with Riyadh just because of all the other rugby that's happening this weekend whether it be Six Nations or Schools mm-hmm. Cup or Ohio League or whatever yeah. but yeah it, it is the players really do seem to get a big boost from the sellout crowds and I think we've spoken about it before of just how much money is derived in a sport where margins are fine how much money is derived purely through people through the turnstiles in a way that it isn't in other sports because other sports are all sorry top-end sports are powered by TV deals, where rugby isn't. So, Richard, tell us a little bit about what you're up to then. You, you moved oh, over yes. to England last moved year? moved over to the southeast of England, which is, I have to say, a little bit warmer than here. You may have seen my photograph on Twitter at Christmas time and a pair of shorts on Christmas <laughs> Day, which didn't go down that well with some people. But we, we, we moved the family over to the southeast of England. We've all settled in well. I have set up a small agency, um, RGM, Multimedia Services Limited. There are other... <laughs> other media services out there <laughs> other subpar media services <laughs> I haven't really had a chance to really get into it yet but I am enjoying it I have no regrets leaving it's been great to be back here um, I was standing outside with Jonathan earlier on and kind of I forgot that I hadn't actually been here for three months which is terrible I did plan to come back for a few more Ulster games <laughs> um, I missed the three sellouts um, disappointingly but I couldn't get a ticket <laughs> 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 but um, I'm enjoying it. I make more of an effort with the business end of things going mm. forward now. Um, but I think, look, I've got good friends here. I taught you all that you knew in, in the old workplace. And uh, the friendly rivalry that I had with Jonathan when I was working for the newsletter uh, has now become... <laughs> has, we should has, point out that <laughs> if anybody knows, just think we didn't introduce you properly to say that you were the uh, sports editor of the newsletter yeah. for... As long as I can remember. Yeah, it was 20 um, years with the newsletter and, and 10, 10 as sports editor. So, I mean, and look, and I had, I had friend some, of Ulster Rugby throughout. A big, had been most, mostly home and away games for a long, long time until I got married and just couldn't stand ever <laughs> going away every weekend. But, but the friendly rivalry that I had with Jonathan has developed into a good friendship now and it's always good to catch up with him at away games and uh, we've, had, we've had a couple of good, good nights and times and venues like, <laughs> venues, venues like Claremont and uh, I'll see him at Twickenham on Sunday. <laughs> Speaking of which, that a fantastic segue, Richard, because we now move on to discuss the Six Nations. So, Ireland against England at Twickenham on Sunday, obviously, we will not know the team until tomorrow. Is it fair to say it's maybe looking a little bit closer than we might have thought a few weeks ago? I think probably England's World Cup hangover, if that's what it is, is maybe more pronounced than we'd expect it. Maybe understandably so. Mm-hmm. I think if you're looking at, you know, we spoke about it, in so much in the build-up to the World Cup that England are such a dangerous team when they have that sort of quintet of world-class players. We know that they're going to be without two of them, both uh, Vunipola brothers, yeah. um, going into this game. So that's if you think about where England are so much better than Ireland over the last number of times that they've played, it's how much more physical they've been and just that they're able to absolutely batter you because they just have genuine specimens of forwards and two Lardy. so they're missing two of those the uh, the Tom Curry at eight um, went a lot better against Scotland than it had done against France a week prior but he's still not Billy Vanapola so those are big losses two Lardy coming back in um, is the other side of the ledger that's a big boost for them I still think England will win but I think yes you're 100% right this is not the not the fixture that we probably thought it was going to be coming into the Six Nations mm-hmm. Richard, yeah, would you be? Totally, totally agree with Jonathan on that. How hopeful would you be for Ireland in terms of actually getting a, a result? When you see who's missing, as Johnny has mentioned there, the, the ones that are missing, it, it made me think a wee bit differently. I had been predicting maybe an England win by five or eight points this weekend. Um, 
but you're now thinking, well, if Ireland can match them physically, then we probably saw enough against Wales from an attacking point of view, um, a, a bit more risk being taken, which is mm-hmm. which is good to see. Um, yeah. I think it's, um, I think the fans appreciated that too down in the, the Aviva. But I still think England, England's at home this time round, and I know that Ireland beat England two years ago on the road to the Grand Slam, and I think. And that's like you know that's the only Six Nations game they've lost to Turkey since twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah, you know. Much like yourself, you can think and be like, oh, well, they won the last time. It's yeah. like, but nobody but wins there generally yeah, yes. during the Six Nations. Yep. Do you know what I mean? I actually think this weekend, I think I had predicted at the start of the tournament that England would win it, France would be second, and Ireland would be third, provided France turned up. Mm-hmm. France have turned up, and very impressively, too, I have to say they're looking yep. good. And if you're looking at somebody who probably is going to go and win the whole thing, it's probably France. However, I think come Sunday evening, we're going to see four teams locked at the top of the table because I, th- I fancy Wales to beat France at home and you're going to see four teams locked at the top of the table and a, what a fantastic championship yeah. it's going to be for the next two weeks Absolutely. and it still will probably come down to Ireland against France and yeah. in, in Paris and on the basis of that obviously bonus points yes. and how they fall this weekend is going to be massive yeah. crucial, to, crucial to it mm-hmm. just with it being a relatively new system in the Six Nations I think people can still overlook it in terms of just the result being the all important thing but when the championship's this tight mm-hmm. it's not Big like time. England are on five so they've already got one more point than maybe they deserve on the basis of that performance against <laughs> yeah. France by coming yeah. back to get the losing bonus point so you know the difference and actually funnily enough as we saw last year like nobody thought about it at the time but how big did it loom in the end that England went on to get that late try and Ireland didn't mm-hmm. when you look at the bonus points so you yeah. know whether it's 5-0 4-1 Four 0 no matter mm-hmm. who wins this weekend, it's going to be really important as well. When you're looking at something that's going to be so tight that whatever yeah, it is, fourteenth of March, you take a four one split as we as we yeah. said now. Then would, would I, be okay. I actually believe Scotland could produce a big surprise at Murrayfield against France. I thought you were going to say against Italy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're going to have to do that as well. Um, but I think France. I mean, we haven't seen them on the road yet, and it's, it's difficult. And I think home. I mean, as we've said, Jonathan Ireland did win back there and two years ago to go for the Grand Slam and you don't see it happening that often I think France are on the road and that will tell a tale and I think the Scotland have shown me enough that make a few wee tweaks and they could mm-hmm. they could put off a result hopefully yeah. the Wellers a bit better than it was for the last round of Six Nations mm-hmm. games absolutely well, like that's pretty much us for this week, Richard. Thank you very much for coming on for your debut. It was a, a pleasure to have you, and I know uh, what you said will be, be well received as it's always. A, it was a pleasure, and uh, hopefully, like Mark Robson, I'll be asked on a second time at some stage. Um, absolutely, we'll get to your hat trick ball eventually. Um, <laughs> is Baker the only hat trick so far? Is he? Uh, is Baker had a hat trick? I think we didn't so, present yeah. them with a match ball. We'll have nice. to get him on in retrospect. Am I that far behind? Yeah. Even yeah. bigger? Yeah, even bigger. We're desperate though, Baker's not coming back now, you're available. Um, <laughs> the the so people love Baker, to be fair. They do, the people love him. Not, for some not, not that we don't. Well, no. well. And so of course, Gareth, hopefully we'll be able to meet up again on the golf course this year because you course, have, you have carried me on your shoulders mm-hmm. around many a course mm-hmm. this year to, for to 23 pounds. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is always enjoyable. So this weekend we will have live coverage of the Ireland game, the Ulster game and of course the Schools Cup. A big weekend of, of rugby coming up and a busy one for us from Richard Mulligan. Goodbye and uh, enjoy your rugby at the weekend, folks. From Dalton Bradley. Cheers, thank you very much. And myself, Gareth Anna, thanks for listening. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with open reach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra fast, ultra reliable full fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash NI.